0: Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee, Canadian real estate news. While you have your morning coffee. Today is Monday, August 12th, 2019. My name is Joel Arnt. So, this morning's article comes from the Toronto Star How Two Toronto Developers Got a Three Story Rental Building Past Yellow Belt Zoning Rules. This actually really excites me, this article by Donovan Vincent. It won't completely solve Toronto's housing shortage, but experts are calling a successful gentle density project in the Dufferin Bloor area a step in the right direction. Nuno Nascimento and Nuno Paul, owners of Dufferin Lane Investments, recently won approval from Toronto's Committee of Adjustment to build a three-story building containing eight rental units, uh, apartments, on a site currently occupied by a detached single-family home. Nascimento and Paul purchased the 6,000-square-foot house on Dufferin Street in early 2016 for $870,000 and later decided they wanted to turn the property into a low-rise rental building. The process wasn't easy late last year with help from the architectural architectural firm MGBA they brought forward their application which sought seven variances exceptions to Toronto zoning bylaw pertaining to things such as parking for bicycles and cars floor space building depth and landscaping in the end all the variances were accepted by the committee of adjustment with the assistance of a support letter from area city councillor Anna Bailo in mid-July. I hope I'm getting all these names right, I'm sorry if I'm butchering any of them. Their project falls into the so-called yellow belt zone of the city, used to describe about 70% of the city. The yellow belt refers to the yellow markings city planners use to indicate areas in toronto's official plan where higher density zoning isn't really permitted only detached and a small number of semi-detached houses are permitted under the city's official plan the area the development falls into is designated a neighborhood and one of the allowable uses within this designation is apartment buildings up to four stories tall. But the zoning bylaw severely limits this form of housing. It's timely and somewhat costly to try to meet these limits, so a lot of developers don't try to create low rise apartments. Urban planner Sean Galbraith calls the project fantastic and a hopeful sign in terms of creating more density in Toronto neighborhoods where land is scarce. It's great, we don't have a surplus of small apartment buildings in the city. Any time one can beat the odds and get approved, it's a success. These buildings are not easy to design or get approved and it's great to see this one do both. The Zoning bylaw, and Official Plan place a lot of restrictions on apartment buildings, Galbraith says. In parts of the city, especially near the core, there are very narrow, long lots where it's difficult to fit in parking and side yard setbacks, Galbraith adds. Anything over a triplex and up is basically discriminated against in the zoning bylaw for building depth, he adds. In a statement to the star, Belao, i let's go with Bailo. Balo says she decided to throw her support behind the project because it provides much-needed rental housing during a housing crisis in Toronto, adding that the development is supported by the city's community planning department and local neighbours in the area, which is huge. Having the backing of local neighbours is probably one of the toughest things to get. NIMBYism, not in my backyard, NIMBY, is a very powerful force, and without support of local neighbors. Most development projects stall for such a long time that they become cost prohibitive or um, they just fail in general. She went on to say the project is a great example of how gentle intensification can be achieved in a residential neighborhood. In a statement to the Star, Nascimento and Paul say there is a place in the city for condo developments and large residential buildings, but these are not a universal solution to other housing approaches needed to be explored, and other housing approaches need to be explored. The developers must still get their site plan approved and will then require a building permit from the city to demolish the existing house and begin construction on the low rise. They hope to begin digging this fall or next spring. The owners say they intend to offer market rate rentals, uh, rental units, once the project is complete. Existing neighborhoods and communities can be maintained and f- flourish with right sized developments. Our goal is to provide scale and density without losing the history and culture of what is already here, already there, they say. Cost and time are big factors. We need a way to fast-track low-rise developments under 15 units, so the average developer will take the easier path. Big developments, which are right sizes to the approval process. Financing is also not easy on multi-residential projects. We hope our development will help change minds among investors and financiers. David Sajeki, and again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, a partner with Sujeki Planning, the urban and regional planning firm that worked on the project, outlined the variances the development team sought and won. Toronto's Committee of Adjustment can approve variances to the city's zoning bylaw as long as the sought-after changes meet the intent of the bylaw. Under the zoning bylaw, the floor space index, the ratio of total floor area, to the size of the land for the site is 0.6 times the area of the lot. So essentially, by zoning by-law, 60%, only 60% of the actual land area can be floor space by ratio. Um, but the proposal calls for 1.9 times the area of the lot. So because it's three floors, the actual total floor space in the building is going to be 9% more than the total land area, but it won't necessarily take up all the land. So Jackie says the development team argued the sought after increase was in keeping with ratios for new properties built nearby or renovations. We had a whole list of different sites that have been approved by the committee where density was within a range similar or greater than what we were requesting, Jackie says. In addition, the maximum permitted building depth for development on the property is 14 meters, but the, proper, the proposed building depth is 24.92 meters. However, the depth of the Dufferin property is deeper. The lot is L-shaped and two light wells used to illuminate the property are considered part of the lot's depth, which are included in factors that made the proposed apartment's building, uh, building's depth acceptable. The building doesn't actually reach 24 meters, but because there are light light wells back to the end of the property, that's considered building depth, as far as I understand that. If I'm wrong, someone can correct me on that. In this case, the subject lot is L-shaped and bigger than the surrounding lots. This allows for a larger building that will accommodate a three-story apartment building containing eight dwelling units, Bailo explained. Several of the other variances pertain to parking issues. The required parking for the lot included seven spots for residents and one for a visitor. The proposal calls for no parking. Bicycle parking storage is required included within the first or second story of the building the proposal included bicycle parking within a rear detached ancillary building on the lot on july 12th the city's transportation services department submitted a report to the committee of adjustment recommending that the property owners provide seven parking spaces at an off-site location within 300 meters of the site but working with a transportation consultant the development team put together a parking study at the request of the city to show how people moving into the building would move around. The study concluded that 60% of of future residents would use alternative modes of transportation rather than private cars. The parking issue is being addressed through a combination of bicycle parking, access to Green P parking and 300 meter walking distance to Dufferin subway station. There is also the Dufferin TTC bus and permit parking available in the study area. Sajeki says, in her support letter, Bailo opposed the transportation services recommendation on parking spaces, noting the TTC subway and bus lines noting the TTC subway and bus lines and the fact that only 75% of available parking permits in the area have been sold. So this is actually really sweet um, and really encouraging. There's a lot, like as the article mentions, 70% of um, Toronto's zoned residential area actually doesn't allow for anything more than a single family dwelling. Um, and a little bit of, uh, you know, some semis maybe, or small duplexes or stuff like that. Um, and this is getting through. And they put a lot of work into this. Like, they, yeah, they, they went about this, this is how you do it. Any urban planner looking to bring in density into a neighborhood, especially a neighborhood that's just, that has like a crazy history of single single family houses where people, you know, if you're living in a, in a nice neighborhood or even just, you know, in any neighborhood and a developer comes in, demolishes a building and puts up more units That can be a scary concept. Um, Renters don't generally, stereotypically, renters don't hold the same value for the property they're in as a homeowner does, which isn't true. Some homeowners are just as bad as some renters and some renters are just as good as some homeowners. But the prevailing thought is we get renters in here, this neighborhood's gonna go to crap. And that's where people will resist intensification development in their neighborhood and that will shut down a development project in general so if the zoning bylaws are restrictive and you don't have neighborhood backing um, you just it's not going to happen but these guys they got buy-in from neighbors they got buy-in from the counselor they got they did their homework um, on the permits in the area they addressed the concerns uh, all the concerns brought up by different committees you know, including transportation services they just did everything right and it's not completely put through yet but like this is how you do it and and they're not going for like a high rise it's three three stories eight units where there was once one one family you know on 6000 squ- square feet um you know it's just not realistic in Toronto anymore and in most Southern Ontario cities really. But, um, you know, now eight families or eight people or eight couples or whatever, like there's, there's space for eight, um, eight units. And that's a huge improvement in Toronto right now. Just starved for housing space. Uh, there was actually an opinion piece in, in, the, in the Toronto Star as well. back in May, maybe June, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look it up, but the, I think it was the director of build, one of the builders associations in Ontario anyway, they took a trip to Tokyo, and basically toured the architecture there. And a lot of the residential architecture is um, low-rise, four- to eight-story low-rise units, uh, low-rise buildings, and they cluster around transportation hubs. And, I mean, you're talking about a city that has that the population of Canada within you know, space the size of Toronto, essentially. I mean, that's not exactly it, but that's essentially what you're looking at. So, and with the rate at which Toronto is growing, the city needs to make serious moves to figure out what they're going to do about um, housing everybody who's, who's coming in. So this is a really cool step in the right direction, and it'll be interesting to see if it just how well it fares, because I guess it still has to get a couple more permits, but um, like a demolition permit and stuff. Uh, And then how the construction process goes. And then if it inspires... They've now created a blueprint. That's the coolest thing. They just created a a blueprint and a precedent. So anybody else can go in and do the exact same thing. As long... I mean, I guess the lot is pretty big. So um, they're working with really good... Really good resources, but um, you know, someone could conceivably buy two spaces, two lots, and do the and do this uh, as long as they you know approach it the same way um, with the same attitude and with the same readiness and with the same amount of money. (laughs) Money follows. Money's like water; it follows the path of least resistance. So if there's a so if there's any point in a process that's going to cost more. It, it it stops it and it flows around or it just completely re- redirects and diverts, so it needs to follow um, without intentionally like forcing things through. Like the, in this case, they are people are intentionally investing to find a way to do this, um, so they are creating a pathway. So now anybody else can come in and do it behind them much easier than they did. So it's actually, it's really neat. And I'm excited to see what this means for, I guess, that area specifically, but for Toronto in general, see if we start to see more more development like that. I'd love to hear what you think about this, actually. Um, I know there are a lot of city planners out there and um, who have some very um, passionate thoughts about, gentle densification and um, how to gentrify rightly, and I'd love to hear about it. You can comment wherever you found this podcast episode, either on LinkedIn or Facebook or if, uh, in any of your podcast apps, or you can also email me, coffee at joelarndt.ca. Joel Arndt is J-O-E-L-A-R-N-D-T.ca, so coffee at joelart.ca And uh, let me know what you think. Have a good day.